So as Josh welcomed you in this evening, this is Expectation Sunday. If you've been joining us over the past couple months, this will be your first Expectation Sunday. We do this the first Sunday of every month, and and the idea is that oftentimes church can become uh, normative. It can become this ritual where you do the same thing each and every week, a few different songs, a different sermon, and we wanted to break that cycle once a month and invite you into a space where you come expectant. You come expecting God to meet you with a word of encouragement, with wisdom, with insight, with conviction, with clarity, whatever it may be that you've been seeking God in prayer, that God will meet you. You come expectant, but you come with no expectations because it's not going to be the same uh, flow, the same liturgy as a normal Sunday. And so that's what we're here to do is to engage in that this evening and so if you attend Crossbridge Brick or you've been coming, you know that we engage communion at, at the end of the service, typically after the sermon. Well, we wanted to start this service with just worship. I mean, we're excited to be led by this band today. Can we give them a round of applause? They lead us with their gifts and talents. We're so grateful for them. And uh, we wanted to start by inviting you in a moment to come to the table at the beginning of service, to come and partake of communion with the body of believers, with God's people together, before we go into the rest of our time of worship, because we believe that communion is a means of grace. It's not a ritual. It's not a simple remembrance. It is strength. It is peace. It is clarity. It is the exact thing that God invites us to as a sacrament that we are to do as God's people, because we believe that God will meet us expectantly in this table. And so if you've been with us this summer, you know that we're going through this series called uh, Wanderers and Wrestlers, and we've been focusing primarily on Abraham and Sarah. There's been a little transition to their son, Isaac, who they were waiting 25 years for, really their whole lives, but then 25 years after God gave them the promise that he would give them a son in their old age. And then we saw last week in Genesis 22, the binding of Isaac. We saw the difficulty of that story, but also the beauty of that story and the gospel that comes forth in that. And we're kind of fast-forwarding the narrative pretty quickly to Genesis 27 and 28, where we're looking very briefly before we come together to God's table at Genesis 27 and 28, Jacob. Now, who is Jacob? Jacob is the son of Isaac. So we looked last week into Isaac when he was maybe in his teenage years, a young man, and we've fast-forwarded now to Isaac on his deathbed. He's married to Rebekah. They have two children, Jacob and Esau, who are twins. Esau is the oldest by a moment, and then you have Jacob. Now, on his deathbed, Isaac wants to give a blessing to the oldest son, which is Esau, and Esau also happens to be his favorite son. And so Esau goes out into the field. He begins to prepare this meal to give to Isaac so that Isaac can give Esau a blessing before he passes away. Now, this is not just something that happened within this family. It actually was a common social legal arrangement and, and a binding contract of sorts that a father would give often to their oldest son. And typically what happened in most families was that this blessing was a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom, but it was also the handing of the assets of the family, the inheritance, to the oldest son. So this is what's taking place. Isaac's going to do this for Esau, but it's even more significant. 
because it's not only a financial offloading from Isaac to Esau, it is also a spiritual mantle that is being given from Isaac to Esau as Abraham gave it to Isaac, now Isaac will give it to Esau. Well, here's the problem. This family is really dysfunctional. And there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of scheming and conniving. And so when Esau goes out to get things ready to come back to Isaac, to give him this meal and care for his father and receive the blessing and carry on the promises of God through his family, Jacob meets with mom, Rebecca, and Rebecca, who favors Jacob, the younger twin, says, listen, while he's out there, steal the blessing from him. So what Jacob does is he goes out and he makes a meal very quickly as Esau would have made it. And he comes before Jacob and he's put goat hair on his arms because Esau was known to be a very hairy man. And he knows he's not going to be able to change his voice. So Isaac, who can barely see, he's about to pass away, eats this meal, tastes like something Esau would make. And then he asks to feel his arms because the voice isn't matching. And he feels goat hair on his arms. And he's like, this must be Esau. So then he gives the blessing to Jacob instead of to Esau. Esau comes back and everything unravels. Jacob has to flee for his life. But now it's a binding contract. It's a binding proclamation. The blessing is now Jacob's. It cannot be given to Esau. And so even after all this dysfunction and the deception that Jacob lied and he stole and he cheated to get something he believed was good, the blessing from his father, yet he sacrificed his son in order to do it, even amidst all this dysfunction, Isaac doubles down in Genesis 28 and he proclaims again the blessing on Jacob because now God is going to carry out the promises that he gave all the way to his grandfather Abraham and Sarah. And it went down to Isaac and Rebekah, and now it's going to land on Jacob's shoulders. Even amidst his deception, God is going to be faithful. Here's what Genesis chapter 28 verse 3 says. It says the following. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. It's interesting language. See, Isaac says to Jacob, even though I'm sure he's upset and he's angry that he deceived him and it should have gone to Esau, but now Jacob has the blessing. He says, listen, God is going to bless you and he's going to multiply you and here's what's going to happen. Here's what God is going to do through you and through your family. He is going to build a company of peoples, a community of people that are blessed by God and as God told Abraham years before, God would also bless the nations of the world through this family, through this lineage. Here's what's so fascinating to me. With all the dysfunction, with all the deception, he stole the blessing, he cheated his brother, he's running for his life, he's obviously has moral tension. It seems like he's morally bankrupt to do this and take advantage of his father on his deathbed. And yet, even though Jacob is unfaithful and he's a liar and a thief, God is going to fulfill his promises through him. He's going to build a company of people, a a company of God's people that are blessed by God through this type of person. And to be frank, his father and Abraham as well, they weren't great either on the whole. 
There's a lot of examples, a lot of great things, had great faith and honor, and we, we, we want to esteem them. However, they also had their issues. We've been reading about that all summer, and yet God is faithful. First Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, he writes about this company of people, and listen, this is so amazing how, what God does through the centuries, tracing all the way back to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Here's what Peter says about this company of people. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, I think it is so important that we just take a moment and remember who God's people are. Sometimes we feel, I'm sure how Jacob felt, we are going to cut corners, we are going to do what is never necessary to get things that are good in our life, and then maybe we feel convicted later, we feel like a, a broken mess, we make mistakes, we are morally compromised people, all of us in the room. And sometimes we feel like God is never going to bless through me. He's never going to work through me. I can't. I've made too many mistakes. I've deceived too many people. My family's too dysfunctional, whatever it may be. No, God does work through people like that. He works through dysfunctional families. He works through deceivers and liars and cheaters. In fact, the promise of God to us, the company of God's people, is that even amidst our unfaithfulness, God is faithful to us. Even in our sin and our brokenness, you know how, how God treats us, what the view of God is towards us because of Christ? We are a holy nation, a priesthood. We are a people for God's own possession. We are not the things that we see ourselves to be. We are what God sees us to be, and that is holy, and that is perfect, and that is good. Not because we have earned that, but because Christ has earned it for us. 